So it's it's not about creating something that becomes a number one bestseller in a category on Amazon for five minutes. It's about can you make something that sells for years and years? That That's ultimately where the money is. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have Ryan Holiday, who is the author of books such as The Obstacle is the Way, which I highly recommend. Trust me, I'm lying. And the new book, Ego is the Enemy. Ryan was also the former director of marketing for American Apparel. Ryan, how's it going? It's going quite well. How are you? I am doing well. So thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? So this is probably my least favorite question in the whole world because I feel like I never do a good job answering. But I guess I'm a, I'm a writer. I've, I've now written this is my fourth book. And I also am a marketing strategist. So I work for companies like Google, American Apparel. I've worked with authors like Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins. I help people spread ideas through culture. That's what I've gotten really good at over the years. And then I, I happen to be lucky enough to to sort of get to spread some of my my own ideas the same way. Awesome. So you were on this crazy career path. I mean, uh, you dropped out of uh, you dropped out of school at what age nineteen, and mm-hmm. you went to uh, you know go work at American Apparel and become their director of marketing. And then you know right now you're 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 doing all this crazy stuff, writing all these books. So tell us about you know I guess the the choice that you've made and and you know I guess all the things that have led up to where you are now. It was really a terrifying choice. I, I was the it was a sophomore year of college. I had an internship in Los Angeles over the summer, which I, I really took to. And sort of my last week or two there, the company ended up getting a meeting with a pretty big band, a band that sold something like 50 or 60 million records. And, and the band wanted a new media strategy. And I put this thing together, which you know people often ask interns to do. And the band ended up signing sort of precisely because of that strategy. And so the company was then on the hook to deliver those things. And they sort of said, hey, you're supposed to go back to school in two weeks. What if you didn't? And right around that time, I met this author. His name was Robert Green, who wrote a book called The 48 Laws of Power. And Robert was looking for a research assistant. And so I sort of had these two dream opportunities just pop up right at the same time. And I had to ask myself, you know, am I going to go back to school to hopefully graduate and get a similar job offer two years from now? Or am I going to jump now, maybe a little bit before I'm ready, but could potentially change my life in doing so? And and look, it wasn't something I took lightly. It was terrifying. And, and it ended up working out. I spent about a year at that agency. And then I, I went to work as a strategist at American Apparel. And I worked my way up through the ranks there. And Soon enough, I was the director of marketing. So it was really about taking this risk that at the time felt like an enormous risk. But in retrospect, I could have easily gone back to school. It wasn't as if I was like joining the army or something. But you never know how things are, are going to go. You take these chances and they, they can change your life. 
Awesome. So a lot of people, I mean, you know, you, you go on this trajectory, you're a, you're a director of, a mar- of marketing for American Apparel. You know, a lot of people would say, okay, let, let's just keep pushing. You know, I'm going to go be like, like a CMO somewhere else, or I'm going to go start my own thing. And then you went down the author route. So tell us about that. I'd been at American Apparel close to four years. And yeah, right. I, I could have started to look for a job at a bigger company. I certainly had offers and, and interest. I could have uh, started my own company. What I realized that there's sort of I wasn't going to go much further inside American Apparel. I mean, I was I was a director of marketing. There was no it was it wasn't a company that had like a VP or a CMO role really. Um, and my direct boss was the owner and the CEO of the company, so I wasn't going to take his job, right? So there was, there was really nowhere for me to go, and I, I started to get unhappy with the media environment, how you know sort of clickbait and the way things were scandalized and sensationalized, and I felt like. Working for this controversial company, I had a sense of how the media worked that maybe the public didn't. And so I thought maybe the an interesting move for me would be to write about it. And I wasn't sure – again, I wasn't sure if it would work. Um, it felt like a terrifying choice at the time. But I, I basically told the company that I couldn't work there full time anymore. We ended up coming to an arrangement where I was sort of an advisor um, I kept my title, but I was more, I had no day-to-day responsibilities. And I packed up my stuff and I, I moved across the country and I sat down to write a book, which I'd never done before. And then about a year later, it came out and it sold for a pretty decent advance. And then it, it came out shortly after that. And, you know, all of a sudden I had this new career path that I'd never really anticipated for myself. And again, so it's taking these risks and trying these things that, you know, can end up you know, sort of leveling up for you in a big way. Yeah, it's it's really doing those things that really helps you grow, right? I, I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, writing a book. I, I'll just give you an example here. Joe Polish from, from Content Marketing Institute, yeah. you know, after the interview I did with him, he said, you know, Eric, the main thing you have to do is you, you have to write the book. After you write the book, it, it's it's a freaking game changer. So I guess just asking you, you know, what has, you know, becoming an author done for you so far? Well, it's funny. You think you're writing this book and you're giving away all your knowledge, and indeed you are, but a book also functions as a bit of a business card. Or calling card is probably a better word for it. So all of a sudden you have these people that want to hire you because they read your book and they they like what you had to say. So my book launched a marketing company, which I have to this day, which which does quite well. It also you know created an opportunity for me to write subsequent books, for me to do speaking, for me to do a lot of consulting. Since a book requires such an upfront investment from the author in terms of time, and to do right, it's such a difficult task. When you come out the other side and you've successfully marketed it and it reaches an audience, you've proven yourself to be as a member of a relatively elite club. You know, obviously, lots of books are self-published these days, so it's not as as elite as it once was. But you have separated yourself from the herd in a major way. And it's it's really difficult to overestimate just what an effect a really great book can have on your career. Right. So when you're writing a book, I mean, I mean, what actually goes into, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, getting like a, a New York Times, you know, bestseller. I, I think a lot of people are writing books and a lot of people struggle with kind of the promotional aspect of it. And I think it, a lot goes into, I, I think a lot of people just don't realize, you know, having a book author, all that type of, or a co-author or a book agent, all that type of stuff. I mean, how much effort actually goes into it? If it would be difficult to overestimate the effect of a book that can have on your career. I, I would say it's equally difficult to overestimate 
just how much work and effort and blood and sweat goes into a book. Now, obviously, there's services out there. You can hire someone and they can write it for you. My company does a fair amount of ghostwriting for for relatively sort of high-profile individuals. Um, There's firms you can hire to market for you, which is something my company does as well. But to sit down and create a book, I mean, to sit down and and then, you know, several months later have 60 or 70 or 80,000 coherent words in the best possible order in the most compelling sort of arrangement is an incredibly difficult thing to do. I mean, you sit down and you, like, it's the project with which the the progress is measured in a matter of months or sometimes years, right? And so the idea that you could sit down and work on something every single day and be making no visible progress is incredibly discouraging for a lot of people. So look, if I, if I had to sort of summarize what goes into it, it's having an idea that is actually worthy of being a book. If you sell it traditionally, it's finding an agent who wants to represent that book. It's writing a proposal. It's selling that proposal to a publisher. Then it's actually going out and delivering on this, this business plan that you've created, which you know, can take quite some time. Then it's editing the the ego is the enemy, which comes out, you know, here now. I, I imagine by the time people listen to it, that book was a year of editing alone. You know, a, about a year of research, a year of writing, and a year of editing. There's some overlap there, but quite a bit, right? And then marketing takes months and months and months of uh, of work. And and on top of all of this, doesn't matter how good you do at any of those things, none of the results are certain. So it's an endeavor that I would not encourage someone to take on lightly because I, I sort of – I've bled through enough of them that I know what it takes. Awesome. And the audience really loves metrics. So what are some numbers you can share around your – you know you being an author, whether it's books sold, whatever it is exactly, what can you share? Well, books sell fewer copies than people think. You know, there's the the L, there's you know the Dan Browns of the world that sell tens of millions of copies. But you know, anytime a book is selling more than ten or twenty thousand copies in sort of the traditional format, so that's not hey, I sold ten thousand copies of a book for ninety nine cents or I gave away ten thousand copies. But anytime you're you're sort of breaking the ten or twenty thousand copy metric you've sort of registered as an author in the industry. Because you've got to think about, you know, let's say it takes the average person 10 or 12 hours of reading time to finish a book. Uh, you know, that you, and each book is 25 bucks. That, that's a significant amount of revenue and, and, you know, attention captured. So I think Tim Ferriss has talked about this. He's saying, you know, would you want to have a million readers of your blog or would you want to have, the 1,000 people who attend TED every year read your blog. And so with a book, I think it's, it's, it's about finding the right audience. Um, but personally, you know, my books are now, you know, north of, uh, let's say, 200,000 copies. Uh, they're in almost 20 languages. And, and, and we'll, we'll see that the key for a book is can you make something that sells in perpetuity once the marketing has stopped? So like my book, The Obstacle is the Way, is now sort of comfortably selling about a thousand copies a week without me doing anything. And so that and and once a book sort of gets to that level, it can sell for 20 years at that level. So so it's it's not about creating something that becomes a number one bestseller in a category on Amazon for five minutes. It's about can you make something that sells for years and years? That that's ultimately where the money is. I love it. Cool. Let's jump back to the books in a little bit, but I do want to talk about 
Ego is the Enemy. So tell us a little bit about what that book is all about and how you came about uh, the idea, I guess. So I wrote a book called The Obstacles Away a little over two years ago that was about how we overcome external obstacles. And it was a book that became very popular in professional sports, the Seattle Seahawks, the New England Patriots, um, uh, the, the University of Texas Longhorns, a bunch of teams that started to use the book. And so when I was starting to think about a follow-up, I wanted to, I wanted to, to sort of home in on, on our biggest internal obstacle, which would be ourselves, the way that our own ego, our selfishness, our arrogance, our delusions can hold us back from our creative, uh, our creative work or the success that we hunger for. So I wanted to look at the way in which essentially we're our own worst enemy. Interesting. Okay. So ego is the enemy. I mean, uh, today I was listening to um, one of your talks about the canvas strategy. So what's that all about? Well, I'm talking about how when you're young, the often the best way to get ahead is to make other people look good or to to not care about credit, to, to help your boss get credit, essentially. But if you feel like this is a strategy that inherently challenges the ego, I mean, for me, as I dropped out and I was working for these successful people, it's not easy to watch other people take credit for things that you did. It's not easy. You know, I I sat in that meeting when they signed that band and I watched much older, much more uh, well-paid individuals read word for word something that I had written to sign this band. And I watched this band sort of nod in agreement and, you know, wow, that's so smart. Let's do that. You know, I didn't get, I I was getting paid like 300 bucks a week. I was making nothing. Right. But this is what one usually needs to do to get ahead. You have to subsume your ego into the work and frankly, be willing to eat shit for a while as, as, uh, as, as you prove yourself to the people who can ultimately open doors for you. The whole concept of eating shit for a while, I mean, I, I think the, the, the people that eat shit for the longest or, or I guess throughout their lives, those are the ones that are able to just, I, I guess, you know, forego ego, right? I mean, it's not, it's obviously not about eating it forever and not being a doormat, but it's sort of strategically saying, look, this is my plan. I know that I have to do X, Y, and Z to get there. And if that's what it requires, you know, if, if X requires me to put up with an abusive boss so I can check this off my resume, maybe that's what it is. And it's about, you know, the idea that, you know, think about someone like Darwin, who spent like 10 years researching just barnacles to polish his theory on evolution. And in fact, he only went public with it. He didn't even think he was done. He only went public with it because ultimately he was going to get scooped. But it, it was this idea of like being willing to essentially toil in obscurity for years and years that's what made his his discovery so profound and important. And I think it, it's hard for young people because we're so impatient and, you know, we want to be gratified. So instantly, it's hard to do that. Interesting. So what do you say to the entrepreneurs? I mean, you know, obviously entrepreneurs, you know, that they have their own thing, you know, ego. Uh, I'd imagine ego is probably a big problem amongst entrepreneurs for sure. You know, what are some other ways to, to reduce that ego? Well, I guess it just it, it depends on on sort of who you are and 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 what you're doing. But you know, ego obviously manifests itself differently when you're aspiring. When you're successful, it manifests itself in a different way, right? Now maybe it's arrogance or it's micromanaging or it's you know sort of being Pat Riley calls this the disease of me. 
that that's a, a disease where ego sort of rips apart a team that was once intent on playing together and, you know, sort of pursuing a goal larger than themselves. The bonds begin to fray once people start arguing over who gets paid more and who should get the ball more and, you know, who's hogging the spotlight or not passing enough, you know, so ego manifests itself differently depending on where you are, but you have to be conscious and make sure that you're, you're sort of looking at things with an objective, clear eye and that it's not clouded by, you know, what you think you deserve or what you want or what you think you've earned. Got it. Okay. And, you know, you wrote, I mean, the obstacles away is, is more about stoicism. Is that correct? Uh, they're both about stoicism, but I, I guess what I would say is they both use stoicism to make a point about modern life. There's lots of amazing books of Stoicism out there. Like I urge people to read Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus. I'm trying to sort of apply Stoic philosophy along with other philosophies into a modern context. Okay. So, you know, I, obviously, you know, um, you know, Tim Ferriss, you know, talks about meditations and all that. And, and you know, mm -hmm. he's the one that made me aware of Stoicism. And I've, you know, read into it. But I, I guess if you're to make it, if you're to define Stoicism in, in, a, in a simple way, you know, what is it exactly? Well, you know, if, if I was trying to explain it historically, I would say, you know, it's a philosophy popular in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And I would go into all that. I would but that doesn't do a lot for people. I would say if I was defining Stoicism, I would say Stoicism is a philosophy that believes we don't control the world around us. We control only how we respond. And Stoicism is a, is a philosophy that provides exercises and insights on how to respond, like how to respond well to this world in which we are relatively powerless. And so there's a reason that it's popular with everyone from Marcus Aurelius, who's the emperor, the most powerful man in the world, to Epictetus, who was a former slave who's actually banished from Rome by a different emperor. So it's this philosophy that really suits itself to the powerful and the powerless because it tells us, hey, I'm just a guy I didn't make this world, but I got to figure out the rules and I got to make the most of them. Love it. By the way, everyone should definitely check out The Obstacles, the way I've gone through that book. Ryan was very gracious to give me a copy of uh, Ego is the Enemy as well. I just was going through that on, on a plane yesterday. So both are very good, highly recommended. Yeah, and I just want to jump back to you, know, you working with best-selling authors such as Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, Robert Greene, and more. I mean, how did you go about getting these opportunities? It's a process. I tend to find, like, look, I don't think I've ever sought out a single client. I've certainly done no advertising. My company's gotten almost no publicity. My clients come to me typically because another client said, hey, Ryan did a good job. Uh, or Ryan, Brass Check is the name of my company. So they say Brass Check did a good job. And I think, you know, I get so much interest from young people like, I want to start a company. How do I get clients? Blah, blah, blah. What you do is you find one client and you do a really good fucking job for them. You know, I worked with Tucker Max, who went on to sell millions of books. I've worked with Tim Ferriss, who's, you know, obviously a genius marketer himself and has sold millions of books. And, and I've worked on a number of other really awesome books. And I, I sort of picked my shots. I found projects that I felt I could really contribute something to. And then I threw myself and my team into delivering amazing amounts of value, typically not charging very much money. And then we've, we, you know, we've built a reputation as being sort of one of the, the better firms in the industry. And, and now people come to us and we choose who we're going to work with based on, you know, who we think we can do a good job for. Interesting. Okay. 
I'll, I'll speak to this podcast. I mean, the podcast brings about, you know, interesting opportunities such as speaking opportunities or, mm-hmm. you know, other business opportunities. And I imagine books are the same way. So what's one big opportunity that came your way from, uh, as a result of writing books? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, like, honestly, more, more than I could think of, I would say that the majority of my business comes from people who have read one of my books. It's been really cool, you know, from writing uh, The Obstacles Away, like, getting to meet some of my heroes in sports. Um, you know, I got to, I've gotten to go to Patriots games. Um, I've gotten to, to, to talk on the phone to NFL coaches. It's been really crazy. I would say probably one of the cruelest ones for me is um, I was introduced in, to Stoicism when I was a, a student in college. I, I met Dr. Drew at this college conference and I asked him, you know, hey, what books would you recommend and he recommended the Stoics to me. And I thought that was sort of going to be the end of our interaction, right? You bump into someone, you ask them a question. And, you know, a few years later, I wrote this book about Stoicism and he found out about it and he emailed me. And that, that was like, for me, that was a very sort of full circle moment. It's like, you know, these people influence you. And then if you can make something, you can contribute a little bit to the world. You never know how that might come back to you. That is amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, the book is a medium, the podcast is a medium. I think just going about these things, they're terrifying to do, but it's not that hard once you get going, right? No, no. Making your sort of difference in the world, making your tiny little contribution, it's scary, but how else are you going to make a name for yourself? Right. Okay. Just a few more questions down here. What's the most effective tactic you use to market your book? It, it all depends on the book and the author, but I would say the biggest thing that people miss is they think that a book needs to be marketed from a platform, right? So if you're a nobody, nobody's going to have you on their podcast. If you don't know who you're going to sell your first thousand copies of your book to, nobody's going to buy any copies, right? You have to build a base. So I think my list was about 5,000 people when I launched my first book. Mm. And by the time I wrote my second book, it was 10,000. Then it was probably 30,000 by the time Obstacle came out. And now it's, you know, 60 plus thousand. So it's about building that audience, capturing it and, and selling directly to them. That is the best way to, to market a project. Awesome. Okay. Tell us about one big struggle you faced while building your career as an author. I have a trouble with with sort of work addiction, with getting consumed with a given project or you know an obligation. I I stress, I overthink, I overcommit myself. It's hard for me to turn off. So I mean, part of writing ego is sort of me slamming face first into that wall of having really never said no to anything, just accepting, accepting, accepting to the point where I was just stretched beyond you know any normal physical capacity, and so. I think a hard thing for me is, is being able to say no. And how have you learned? I mean, you know, that's 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 a struggle I face. Uh, how do you say no now? You got to realize that you're not the only. Like, I can say yes to everything because I'm if if I'm just me. But I have a wife. I have employees. I have family members. I have friends. I have my work, my like my writing, which I believe in. And if I say yes to everything, they suffer, right? And I don't mean that in a self-absorbed way, like I'm so great. But it's like by getting married to this woman, I've promised her a piece of my life. By taking money from clients, I've sold them some of my time. And if I just say yes to everything else, then I'm being dishonest. I'm selling things that I don't own. It's been important for me to realize that 
there is there are consequences and costs to saying yes to everything. And so it might be harder in the short term to say no, but it's ultimately the right thing to do. So from a tactical perspective, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like a dick for ignoring people. But I mean, when you get a lot of emails, that's just kind of what happens. So what's a nice way for you to say no? You don't have to respond to every email. I I think it's important that people realize that. But the sort of the explanation I just gave you, I, I give to many people. I say, like, look, I would love to say yes, but I'm not able to. I have too many other commitments and it wouldn't be fair to those people that I committed to before you for me to say yes or you know, I'm I'm honest. I say, you know, let's say someone wants to have me on a podcast. They're thinking about launching. I say, look, I can't take a chance on this right now. You come back to me when you've established yourself, you got something going, and I would be happy to consider it then. And, you know, the reality is most people never do that. So part of it is just pushing the thing back on the person who's trying to impose on you and letting them sort of filter themselves out. I love it. Okay. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 20-year-old self? Related to what we were just talking about, I'd say fucking relax, man. This is not the most important thing in the world. You've got plenty of time. You're not doing anyone, you know, especially yourselves, any favors by being this you know, tightly wound ball of stress who thinks that if you don't do this, the world is going to collapse. Huh. Interesting. All right. Which book has made the biggest impact on your life? There isn't one book, but I would say Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is probably the single most influential book in my life, and it's the one I, I talk and write about the most. Great book. And is that a book that you come back to and, and reread time and time again? I mean, I have a copy of it next to me on my desk, and if this wasn't planned. I'm just, I just looked over and I have it here. Awesome. Well, Ryan, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? RyanHoliday.net is my website. I'm at Ryan Holiday on Twitter and Instagram. And on my site, I have a book recommendation newsletter if people want uh, book recommendations. Awesome. So everyone, make sure you check out The Obstacle is the Way and then get Ego is the Enemy. Ryan, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.